0: I believe God's got a lot to say to us through this today and um, it's going to do a work in us. And just as a reminder, we do have several visitors today just so I'm going to kind of, kind of uh, just catch people up where we're at. But um, we've been talking about the Beatitudes and the fact that Christ uh, come together with the people on the Sermon on the Mount. They come around him, he begins to speak to them and, and to share the heart of the law and what God's really trying to teach them on a lot of things. And before he really gets into any of it, he wanted to teach them about the transformation that God wants to do in us first. How many of us know we talked about it last week, but we're not into behavior modifications around here. We want to see people changed. You know, it's not, it's not uh, that we just continue with our lusts and our desires and our sin and our hearts that we just want to walk around and then change our behaviors and look like a Christian. We want God to do a heart transplant want to change and transform us. So when Jesus sits down with him, he says, okay, I'm going to show you this list. And he doesn't describe it that way. And there's many ways you can look at these scriptures, but this is a really powerful way to look at it. And he begins with verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talked about that last week about coming to crisis. The beginning of our, our transformation is recognizing that we are poor in spirit, that we are spiritually bankrupt but we have nothing to offer to god there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves all of our righteousness is as filthy rags in his sight we cannot do it but if we will just simply humble ourselves the first gift that he gives us the first blessing he gives us is the kingdom of god now i'd say that's a pretty good blessing the kingdom of heaven you start out with the kingdom of heaven you know, when we get saved and we come to Christ, humble ourselves before Him, we have the kingdom of heaven as, as, as a part of our lives. Not just that we belong to it, but according to the scripture, it belongs to us. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If you're going to come to Christ and you're going to humble yourself in spiritual poverty before Him, you better understand that you need to mourn for your sin. There's got, we have got to come to recognition and realization that I have sinned. If I do not come to that realization, then it doesn't matter how often I humble myself myself, it's like there's multiple, sometimes there are multiple personalities. <laughs> if I don't humble myself and mourn over my sin, I'm not saved. Friends, if you, if you haven't recognized your sin and you just want to come to church and show up and put in some kind of a duty to show up at church every week and that's going to be good enough to get you into heaven, I'm sorry, it is not. You have got to recognize that you are a sinner. You've got to realize and recognize that you are not holy. But the thing is, is that when we do, if we connect our humility and our mourning together, that God will send us comfort by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, I'm sorry, but verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So we've talked about humility, we've talked about mourning, excuse me, and we're talk, we've talked about meek. And how God at this point begins to transform our nature by developing a meekness inside of us. That, that by humility and mourning, the believer begins to leave behind his or her life. We begin to react to natural circumstances with a supernatural grace. Now, these are just reminders of things we talked about last week. If you want to hear all those in detail, you can go back and listen to the sermon online. But, but, but God has, if the meek person isn't going to defend themselves. They're not going to fight about things. They're not going to push their agendas. They're going to let God take up their cause. So, we've talked about humility. We've talked about mourning over our sin. We know that the meek are going to inherit the earth. They're not going to take this earth by force, but by, by meekness and attitude of servants, uh, to be a servant to Christ, they know that the earth to come will be their inheritance. So, today, what, what's, what's God got for us today? Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Sanctification. There is a reward for those that will pursue righteousness. Now, in our culture today, there's a mentality that doesn't want us to pursue righteousness. There is a mentality that would say pursuing righteousness is not going to bring about a blessing for you. As a matter of fact, in our culture today, we want to pull the Ten Commandments out of our courtrooms. Now, I know that's a symbolic thing because I wish that our laws followed them anyway. I wish they would enforce them anyway. They don't enforce them. It's just on the wall, but they want to take even the mention of it out. They want to remove the standard of righteousness. They want to remove the standard of holiness so that anybody can live however they want to live at any time they want to live. Our culture wants to rewrite God's standard of holiness just like they're trying to rewrite even our Constitution. Our culture doesn't like the fact that there is a standard. And God is saying, Jesus is saying to these people that there is a standard of righteousness. There's a righteousness that you should search out. There's a righteousness that you should be hungry and thirsty for. And if you will be hungry and thirsty for it, you will be filled. Everybody say, will be. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. It will happen. Now, in our culture today, you say, Pastor, I can see what's coming. You get in the church. You're going to start teaching holiness. You're going to start teaching holiness, and now we're going to have to wear skirts and our hairs in a bun, and we can't wear makeup. You know better than that. I don't want that, neither. Put as much makeup on as you can. It helps. <laughs> Unless you're a dude, don't do that. Just teasing. Listen, seriously, folks, our problem is, is we start trying to, we start, we start putting all these laws. You got to do this, you got to do this, got to do this. That's behavior modification, that's legalism. What Jesus is saying is, I want to take your heart, how I created it, and I want to shift it back to how it should be. I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't want you to hunger and thirst for the things of this world. I want you to hunger and thirst for your own desires and your own wants. You don't come to church to worship yourself. I don't care what Victoria Osteen says. Y'all missed that video all over Facebook the other day? Look up the Bill Cosby one. It's the most comical one. Anyway... God doesn't want us to worship us. He wants us to worship him. And it's, we can't put a list on the wall about who we're going to be. Here's what people do. We're going to go into legalism, Pastor Bob, and you're going to tell me what to do. No, 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 I'm not going to do that because here's the defense. They, they pull out that scripture in Matthew 7. It says, says uh, judge not lest you be judged. Judge, judge not, lest you be judged. This is the defense that every person that's lukewarm and doesn't want to serve Christ in in, in power, they throw out to every believer, every pastor that tries to challenge their righteousness. Judge not, lest you be judged. Okay, let's take that and let's move it into an actual court of law today. Let's say you do 150 through a 20 mile an hour school zone. Don't do that, okay? By the way. And so you're standing before the judge, and they say, what are you doing? You win 150 and a 20. Judge not judge, lest you be judged. Well, that's not going to hold any ground, is it? It's a horrible argument. It's a worthless argument. The fact is, is there was a standard of righteousness. There was a law, and you broke it. Therefore, you must be judged. Now, I will defend The person that says, Pastor, don't judge, lest you be judged. Okay, I get that, and you're going to pull it out of context, use it however you want to. I get it. I'm not your judge. I just love you enough to let you know there is a judge, and you broke the law. And I want you to understand what righteousness is, and to thirst after righteousness, instead of thirsting out after lawlessness. Jesus is saying, this can't happen... Unless there's a heart transplant. There's a lot of stuff in the Sermon on the Mount that he's going to be talking about in the weeks ahead that we go through this that cannot take place just because of behavior modification. That is how the Jews had approached the law, the Mosaic law, to begin with. They approached it with a behavior modification mindset that says, I have to do X, Y, Z, and not really know God, not really love God, still desire other things, but as long as I do X, Y, Z, then I'm going to be saved. That's behavior modification. That's not a transformed spirit. Our church culture in America is accepting a hyper grace that promotes and encourages an unre- restrained lifestyle, a life that lives out its worldly desires and claims to have faith in Christ. They've removed humility. They've removed, they've removed humility. They've removed mourning for their sin, and they rejected a meek spirit in exchange for a brash, proud life that pursues whatever makes that person happy. That is not a transformed life. That is a life of deception. Can I get one amen? Amen. Everybody's saying, gee whiz, Pastor, you started out like really hard. You didn't even tell a joke or nothing. (laughs) I'm sorry. Really, I am. No, I'm not. As a matter of fact, people that feel this way are extremely deceived. So so people will say, okay, I'm going to hide my sin inwardly, and I'm going to try to maintain some kind of outward holiness, pastor. That's called hypocrisy, again, is behavior modification. God has got to do a work inside of our lives, and this is what Jesus is getting at here. So the true response for a person that has humbled themselves, a person that has mourned for their sin, and a person that has taken on a gentle, meek spirit, is to pursue Christ and seek righteousness. And we have promises from the Word of God, we know Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. it makes clear that He has plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future. And you say, how in the world can God do that to me or for me in my condition? Look up on the screen. In the King James Version, it says this in 2 Corinthians three eighteen. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed in the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord beholding we become what we behold we become what we gaze upon we become what we love what we worship what we set before our eyes what we what we look at and dwell upon we become and he says look but with an open face beholding is in a glass the glory of the Lord we are changed in the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord There is a work that the Holy Spirit desires to do in your life. And that work the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life is not to allow you to continue to compromise and say, well, I've got my uh, get out of hell free pass and I can go to heaven now. I humbled myself and I mourned over my sin a little bit. But it gets to this thing about righteous living. I don't know about that so much. This is challenging. It requires decisions on my part. It requires sacrifice. But the Holy Spirit does that which is natural to Him. If you have received the Holy Spirit at salvation, meaning you've humbled yourself, you've sought God, you've you've, uh, mourned over your sin, and God does a transformation in your life, if you have received the Holy Spirit, what I'm talking to you about this morning is a natural response. A person that has truly been saved Will be discipled. They will grow. They will be brought to a place to where they're given an opportunity. "Will I obey the Lord in righteousness, or will I obey my flesh?" And I'll warn you, if you say, "I want to obey my flesh," then for you to move forward with the Lord, you're going to have to go back to humility. You're going to have to go back to mourning. Work through meekness and allow him to transform you again. And God does a wonderful thing. He brings you right back to your last point of disobedience. And he says, are you going to do it this time or not? See, he's got a plan to prosper. So he's got a plan for us and a, and a goal for us. But if we continue the cycle that says, no, I'm not going to go that far, we have to start over again. We have to continually go back through humility and shame and mourning As we behold the glory of God through the awakening of the scriptures to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, beholding the Lord, we become like Him with an ever-changing glory from level of glory to level of glory. Kids, I know you're in the service today and you're probably already bored. Do you see me? I see you. I've been watching you the whole time. You know what I'm saying? Just ignore all the, the elderly people in the room, okay, for just a second. It's just us, okay? Basically what it's saying is that God's got a plan for your life and that you listen to him and you obey him and you read the Bible and you pray and you listen to what Ms. Carla tells you on Sundays and what you listen to in Sunday school and you learn, if you do that every day and you obey the Lord, he's got good things for you now and he's always going to be growing you and taking you further and closer to him. He just wants to make you like him. It's kind of like a gingerbread man when you cut it out and you start putting smiley faces on it and you try to make it look like yourself. Only God's way better than we are. Does that make any sense? See, you're going to leave with something today. I'm not just talking over your head. That's what I'm talking about. You're my, you're my peeps. I love you. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to make us hungry and thirsty for righteousness. That's the goal of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To make us hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Again, look at it. Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. The child of God will hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus uses natural urges to explain a spiritual truth. Has anybody ever been hungry before? Some of you are saying, Yeah, I'm hungry right now, Pastor Man. <laughs> Beef house, let's go. Some of you is hungry right now. Have you ever been thirsty before? What'd you do? What'd you do when you were hungry? You ate. What'd you do when you were thirsty? You drank. These are natural urges that God put inside of us physically so that everything that's created, we can see him, okay? And now Jesus refers to it and says, if you will have that same desire for me, you will be filled. I I saw two beautiful babies this week, two beautiful baby boys born, and one really cool thing about babies that that maybe you know or you don't know, you don't have to teach them what to do when it's time to eat. They just kind of come out knowing, hey, I'm hungry, and mom fixes the problem, correct? That's pretty tough to do, isn't it? God, in the same way with us, says, I have birthed my spirit inside of you. I have made you a new creation. You may not have this all figured out yet. You may be a brand new baby Christian, but I'm going to put something inside of you that says, I mourned who I used to be, but today I'm going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, Jesus says this isn't something that you necessarily have to drink or have to force upon yourself right now. We'll talk about that in a minute. But but just as the urges of thirst and hunger are necessary to our survival by prodding us to eat and drink, so is a hunger and thirst for righteousness necessary to our transformation and life in Christ. Thanks to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, there is no such thing as a failure to thrive Christian. If a person is failing to thrive as a Christian, it's one of two things. One, either they're not really saved and they don't have the Spirit of God inside of them. In case somebody's confused about that, I'm not talking about speaking in tongues. I'm saying a person that's not humbled themselves and mourned over their sin and begin to follow Christ. Either that person, if they're not growing in Christ, either they're not really saved. Or two... They have ignored and disobeyed the spirits leading and are allowing themselves to be spiritually starved to death. Because God wants to prod His children to holiness. Because Scripture says without holiness no man will see God. True. But not laws of man holiness, transformational holiness, a righteousness that's happening and flowing from our heart, a work that God wants to do inside of us. I say spiritually starving themselves because we know that God is not going to call us to himself to withhold what we need. And what I'm saying here is is a lot of times we'll have a struggle in our life and we'll say, where's God? How's come God's not doing this? Why is God not doing that? And we blame God, but the scripture says that a bruised reed he will not break and a, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In other words, if Jesus has called you to him, if God has called you to him through the drawing of the Holy Spirit and he's placed his spirit inside of you, You're not going to have to seek out something from Him without being filled for it. Why would He put a hunger in you if He wasn't going to give it to you? Now, you may have to wait. There may be a journey. There may be some trials ahead, but He will fill. For example, multiple times in the Old Testament, Multiple times in the Old Testament, God tells Israel that if they will obey his commandments, for example, in Deuteronomy 11:14, he says this, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rain, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. Now you tell me this, is God more concerned about our natural provision or our spiritual provision? So if we're going to obey Him and He's going to give give promises, how about if if, if we obey Him in righteousness and, and is He going to give us what we need spiritually to grow us and take us from glory to glory to glory? Here's another example. Psalm 1. You can follow along on the screen. Verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Stop right there for a second. Sounds like somebody's a little bit hungry and thirsty for the Word of God, doesn't it? He delights in the Lord. Have you ever had a ribeye steak before? I delight in ribeye steak. Let's just bask in the presence of that for just a minute. I say that, I don't know what I'm going to even eat for lunch today. I have no idea. got a nursing home service and everything else. I may not eat at all. I may go to the beef house afterward. I don't know. He delighted and he thought about and he meditated upon the word. And because of this, look at verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Spiritual provision. However, not so with the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The psalmist says that there's something between righteousness and wickedness. There's a difference between the righteous and the wicked. You know when I get concerned is when the church in America has trouble discerning what is righteous and what is wicked. And when we can't figure out what is righteous and what is wicked, then that tells me that there's some people that are off somewhere in leadership. That concerns my heart. It breaks my heart, and I know that it breaks the heart of God. There's got to be something different between the righteous and the wicked. Listen, the one that was righteous said, I choose not to sit in the way that these people are sitting. I choose not to walk that path. I choose to go a different route. And because of that, he was planted by the stream, by God. In other words, he was planted by God. And as far as his location goes, he was planted by God, a stream that he could dig deep in with his roots and he could find nourishment where the wicked would not go. The wicked would not dig their roots into him. The wicked would not find their place in him, but the righteous would. And because of it, he did not wither and he did bear fruit. Is anybody getting this at all today? They say, pastor, it's Labor Day weekend. Why didn't you take the weekend off? The evidence of this hunger for righteousness is proof that you are being transformed and it is a confirmation that it will come. And there is sin in this world because God gave man a hunger for God but man hungered after pleasing himself. Listen, sin is simply the perversion of what God has given us as holy. God has given us things that were holy and were good in the creation but but man twisted it under the influence of an enemy so that he could worship himself. So the man could exalt himself and that his desires that were intentionally for God were now directed toward things. Eve desired knowledge. Instead of going to the omniscient God for knowledge, she said, I would rather choose to be like God myself and believe a lie. She saw the food was good to eat. She desired it, so she took it. When she ate, she gave it to her husband, Adam. Folks, God has put desires and cravings inside of us that were intended for him that we have now turned into idolatry and worship of ourselves and other gods. For example, I already mentioned food, so I'll beat myself up. God has given us food necessary for life, but mankind took it, made it a god, made it extravagant, made it expensive, made it something, a delicacy that he would pursue and and, and gorge himself on as a glutton when it was intended to keep us alive. You know, God gave us a mouth, a language like no other part of creation that could sing praise, to make vowels and syllables, and, and, and to be able to, to speak out words of praise to God. And instead, we took that gift from God and we've used it for cursing, we've used it for slander, we've used it for gossip, for tearing others down instead of building them up. You know, God gave us our, our sexual... Uh, nature, our sexuality, and we were supposed to be using it for His glory, and we've obviously in our culture turned it for other things. You see, God wants to take our cravings, our thirst, and our hunger, and He wants us to shift it back to how He had designed it, and so that we would pursue Him rather than pursuing ourselves and our wants. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The love of the world and a heart that desires so much the things of the world is a heart that says the love of the Father is not in. Church, listen to me for a second. I know we're sitting in a church building, and I know we got four walls around us, and I know we just sang praise, but if your heart is consumed with sinful desires and lusts, and pursuing those things on a daily basis, and you are giving into those, I'm not talking about temptation. Temptation will always be there to some extent, and you're always going to struggle with that to some extent. But if you have allowed that, that desire to give birth to sin in your life, meaning habitual repetitive sin, that you are following through with it, Okay. I'm not talking about a slip of the tongue. I'm not talking about a one-time mistake of, oh, I can't believe I just said or did that. I'm talking about habitual lifestyle and still coming to church. That's telling us that the love of the Father is not in us. Do not be deceived. I'm glad we already took the offering. Because it's hard, isn't it? Pastor, we really like it when you tell jokes and you're really funny. And Maybe next week. God will take these things that you deal with and He will give you victory as He increases your hunger for righteousness. Just think, God can cause you to taste and see that the Lord is good so that, you will not, so that you'll desire Him more than you do the gluttonous food. See how I'm going to things that nobody even thinks about, to other stuff that's major? Some people say, Pastor, it's not wrong to be gluttonous. Well, it is. You know, God can take our mouth and turn it back toward praise again. He can shift our attitude from negativity and and destruction and tearing others down and slander and gossip back to a heart of praise and encouragement and building others up. God can take our heart of lust for anything. And He can, as much as our minds would have used to dwell on the lust constantly popping in and, not, and, and causing more issues, and, and He can take that and flip it around and cause us to be thinking and dwelling in praise and honor to Him on a regular basis. That's what God wants to do. Why? Because He wants to put a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Things that are going to honor Him, things that are going to glorify Him, things that are going to take you from where you have been to where He wants you to be. This is the transformation process. It has to happen. We do not conform to the world or to the evil. You say, Pastor, how do we do it? Galatians 5.16 says this. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You and I, church, are spiritually anorexic. Live by the Spirit. You say, spiritually anorexic, what do you mean? A person that has dealt with the disease, the sickness of anorexia or bulimia, they have stopped themselves from eating for so long. They have resisted the cravings of their flesh for so long that they're almost toward death. And if they don't go to the hospital and get help and get put in a place where they can watch them and monitor them, they often have to relearn how to eat. Has anybody ever had to deal with somebody, you know somebody that's dealt with this before? It is a horrible thing. Because they have ignored the craving for so long, they don't even want to eat anymore, and it will kill them. As a matter of fact, if they do eat, it makes them sick, and they spit it back out. You and I are spiritually anorexic bulimics. The church in America is spiritually anorexic bulimic. Why am I saying that? Because we have the word of God more readily available to us now than ever. We have more information readily available to us more now than ever. We can go on the internet. We can, we can, we can look anything up we want all around the world at any time, at any moment, to get somebody that's, that's an effective teacher or preacher or anything like that. And we do that, but we won't feed ourselves. We've got the word of God in front of us and we won't open it. We haven't read the word of God in so long that we don't desire it anymore. We haven't prayed for more than three minutes for so long that we don't even desire to talk to God. We don't even think about it. We have no idea that it is destroying us. And then when we do come to church, and we do hear a message like this from a preacher that's balding a little bit chubby, and he's looking at you and telling you this stuff, you spit it back out because you, it makes you sick. That's called spiritual anorexia and bulimia. God wants to give you a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. But the reason we don't have a hunger and thirst for righteousness is because we put our hunger and our thirst in everything else, and we're not hungry for Jesus anymore. But if we're truly going to be transformed by Christ, we got to start eating again. (laughs) Some of you go, What what, what are we eating, Pastor? We taking communion? (laughs) No? Uh, What else? John, the book of Revelation. Jesus says, take that scroll and eat it, and your mouth will be sweet as honey, your stomach will be bitter. It's the Word of God. Folks, listen, we're going to have to take all of it. And it may be bitter at times, it may be hard to swallow at times, it may be difficult at times, but I'm telling you what, if you will just train yourself for just a few minutes every day to get into the Word or to get into prayer, if you can say, wow, today I may not read three chapters, but I'll read three verses, or tomorrow I may not, read, I may not be able to pray for five minutes, but I'll shoot for three. Listen, if you can just make a list about people that you love, that you want God to bless, that'll take you longer than five minutes. Here's what'll happen. He'll put a hunger in you. you want more. When God transformed my life, and I mean absolutely transformed my life, most of you were here to watch it and see it, and you saw where I went from where I was to where I am today. It was an absolute, about a three-year period of an absolute transformation of my heart and mind where I began to pursue righteousness. And it began with a prayer like this. Standing in New Jersey on the top of a foundry in filth after break time in the middle of the afternoon, standing there looking out over the train tracks, watching people walk up and down the train tracks, standing there going, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but I want to be a part of it. He put a thirst and a hunger in my heart. Absolutely transformed my life. And the eating and the pursuing of the Word of God is something that we must do. And we've got to continually do this. Why? Because if we live by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. If we live out the Word of God, He is going to fill us with what we need to get by. Jesus told the woman at the well this. In John 4, 13 and 14, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. Listen to, listen to me for just a minute, and then I'm going to have Devin come. The purpose of this whole thing that I'm talking about, this transformation, what God wants to do for you is what He did for the woman at the well. He looked at her and He said, Lady, What I have to offer you is going to fill a void in your life to overflowing. That husband, that man you're living with that isn't your husband, that you're living in sin with, that you're shacked up with, all those needs, your adulteries, your lusts and desires, your your desire for acceptance and to be loved, I'm going to fill those voids to an overflowing life. A thirst, a hunger for me. You're pursuing the wrong thing, honey. You're going after the wrong thing. If you will come to me, I will give you something that's going to solve that thirst. Hear what I'm saying. It's going to solve that thirst and your need is going to be met to an excess. And if you've ever dealt with a bondage in your life, whether it be food, whether it be lust, whether it be your language, whether it be whatever it is, anything in your life, you have to learn and understand there's gotta be a supernatural feeling to get rid of that. Because if not, you'll continue to pursue those cravings, those lusts and desires. And then you've got the cycle of going back to righteousness and God saying, are you going to deal with this? Are you going to overcome this by my power? Or what are you going to do? And you end up going back, back to the same process of sin and you end up back at humility saying, God, please forgive me for that. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I just did that again. Mourning over your sin, back to a gentle spirit and you get right back to righteousness. You're going you're gonna to actually live this thing out now, Bob? <laughs> God's really consistent. Lastly, the, the reward for pursuing righteousness is that we would be filled, but what are we going to be filled with? As Devon comes, the worship team comes. Paul gave the believers this similar challenge in Acts 19 because you would say, Pastor, well, let's just, I'll just read this. Verses 2 through 6 and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? They answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. See that? Baptism of mourning. Of humility and mourning. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, if I was to stand here to say this morning and say, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? You would look at me and say, well, duh, yeah, I'm a believer. I've, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I've humbled myself. I've repented of my sins, and, I, and I'm a follower of Christ. I believe. I put my faith in Him. Yes, I have received the Holy Spirit. And I would say, yes, you're 100% because it's only by the Holy Spirit that He can transform us and give us the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Mind Am in the book? That's true, right? So if we've already received the kingdom of heaven... And we've already received comfort for our morning, and we've already received a gentle spirit and a promise of, of the new earth. And God's looking at us now, and he's saying, "Look, if you would just follow me and pursue me in righteousness with a thirst and a hunger to, to follow me and obey me, we sit here and look and say, "There's more righteousness. How can there be more righteousness if I've already been made righteous in Christ?" But Paul says, have you received the Holy Spirit and you believe? He said, no. Well, they had. They didn't know they had, but they had. And he says, there's more. Do you want it? And really what he's doing here, he's saying, listen, are you hungry enough? Are you thirsty enough? Do you want more of Jesus? I got more Jesus to give you. You want it? You want it? I'll give it to you. Folks, I can't help Can't help but think of Moses on Mount Sinai looking up at the glory of God and talking with him. And he says, Show me your glory. (laughs) There's more. What do you mean there's more? There's more. Moses had a hunger and he had a thirst for more. It's a desire for more, a hunger for more. Think of Solomon who desired wisdom. God said, you want to lead my people? Whatever you want to ask for. And Solomon said, I need wisdom to lead these people. And God was so pleased that he had a hunger for godly wisdom and a desire for godly wisdom. He said, look, because you asked for the right thing, I'm going to go ahead and give you everything else that you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you all this stuff. He didn't even ask for it and God's not going to bring you to a place of asking Him if He's not going to fill you with whatever it is that you need today. I can't help but think of Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah, who's, who's told, and they, 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 all the other prophets are telling Elisha, do you realize the Lord is going to take your teacher, your master away from you today? He said, don't even speak of it. I don't want to hear it. And they, they, they stood afar off and watched and Elisha followed Elijah, and Elijah said, Would you get away from me? He said, I will not leave you. He hungered and thirsted for what Elijah had. And because he was there hungry and thirsting, he, he got a double portion of the spirit that was upon Elijah. I, I think of the apostles, I think of the disciples. After, after Jesus had, had broke bread and, and fish and, and they had 12 baskets afterward and all the stuff that took place and they cross over the lake and, and suddenly there's all these people again wanting to eat and Jesus says that you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood and begins a really hard teaching and everybody's going, whoa, dude's crazy. Jesus looked at his disciples. He said, hey, what about you? You're going to leave me too? And Peter looked at him. And he said, Lord... Where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. They were thirsty. They were hungry. And they received. Church, where are you today on your transformation process? What is it that God has called you to in righteousness? Have you plateaued off? Have you stopped? and said, you know what, this is good enough, Have you lost the urge and the desire to grow in grace. Because He's promised that if you will behold Him, He'll take you from glory to glory to glory. Changed into His image. What is it that you're in need of today? Your Father, not me, your Father. Father God is here by His Holy Spirit. And He says, whatever your hunger and your thirst is today, if your desire is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be refilled with the Holy Spirit, if your desire is just to be blessed by God, if your desire is for healing, if your desire is to to, to find a new place of mourning for your past sin and to move forward, if your desire is to overcome whatever it is in your life that's holding you back as far as it pertains to righteousness, he says, won't you come today and receive? He won't call you out if he's not going to give to you. And this whole thing today was a call you out. I know I should have done it quicker. Stand with me this morning.